Welcome back to season three of Mindful of Everything. I really hope that you're enjoying this season so far, which has been kicked off by two amazing conversations I had with two inspiring women who are working to revolutionize healing of self and community. Today's episode, for those who are aware of the show's format and understood immediately after hearing my voice, is a reflection episode. For those of you who are new to this podcast, first of all, I would like to warmly welcome you all to the show and really hope you're enjoying the content so far. But just to summarize, Mindful of Everything is comprised of interviews with guest speakers, reflection episodes where I, the host, a greeter, get to explore some of the deeper things in life that fill up my mind with opportunities to reflect and then understand my standpoint in life and also some solo episodes where I get to discuss a particular area of community healing with a less opinionated approach than the reflective episodes, but still retaining subjectivity, because all knowledge and wisdom shared will always be subject to our current understanding and our current vision of the world, as it should be because we all deserve to be heard. I mentioned in season two that this current time has been and continues to be, for me, transformative, where I have really been gifted this space and time by the universe to really unpack a lot of built up trauma, unhealthy habits and learnings, which I have now gotten the chance to grow out of, but I haven't fully wriggled out of their hold of my mind. It's literally only been a few months and I haven't ever gotten such an opportunity to evolve as a being in such a short time frame, although it does seem like forever because healing work naturally requires a lot of effort and time from you. But within this period of awakening, I figured out that I really needed to record a reflection episode to kind of help set the tone of the new season, but also reconnect with you all as a human and not just a voice behind a mic, which I understand is a major issue for podcasts that are talking about such sensitive areas of living and community. This episode, to be really honest with you all, was longer than making. And since Mindful of Everything has taken a slight transformation this season to focus on revolutionary healing of community and self, I don't think I could get a better time than this. So if you're all ready to listen Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Agrita Andrell, and you're listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast, which calls for revolutionary healing of self and community in order to outgrow our broken culture of radical individualism and disconnection from community to collectively re-envision a safer, healthier and equitable world. In today's reflection episode, I discuss the importance of re-envisioning community building through the lens of intimacy, with particular emphasis on contextualizing intimacy as foundational to all relationships and not exclusive to romantic and sexual relationships and intimacy being a catalyst for us to invest into relationships with people, place and being that inspire us to become the nurturing stewards we have the potential to become. To start off the episode, I'm going to be asking you a series of questions to really get you thinking about today's topic. Have you ever left a space with people, or a person, or just living beings, feeling a sense of true peace and joy that perhaps you haven't felt in a long time, or perhaps you hadn't recognised that you didn't feel that in a long time. I really want you to try to recall how your mind, body and spirit felt in that time. Of course, not all three are separate, but we have to acknowledge that our emotional, material and spiritual experiences, although are in tune with each other, can really be felt differently within a single moment or a single experience. When you left that space, did your body feel shaky, 
and your mind and soul feel calm? Or did your body and soul feel calm, but your mind begin to race with different thoughts sprouting from the time you just spent with others or in a particular space? However you felt in that time, however your body, your mind, soul responded to that sweet time, since you are able to recall that point in time, you must have also explored why you found this moment or series of moments so comforting, so warming, so intimate and hopefully by understanding what the entirety of your being finds pleasurable and soothing, you hopefully sought out similar experiences, places and relationships so that you could gift that feeling to yourself again. The feeling that we all deserve to feel every single day. Whatever that moment was, I would love to get to know what that moment was. So please do DM me on Instagram or even email me at mindfuloveverything at gmail.com. I love to hear people's stories, um, even about certain moments in your life which have had a transformative effect on how you've developed as a person. So whatever that moment may be, the source of our contentment and comfort in that place or those connections where you feel safe and happy lies in the foundation of all healthy and nourishing relationships. The foundation being intimacy. It's really intimacy which leaves us with that warm, fuzzy feeling of pure joy and gratitude for having that moment and having those people who we deeply connect with in our lives or the space that we deeply connect with. It's intimacy which allows us to understand what we ultimately enjoy and then it helps us to set boundaries for ourselves so that we can seek out places, we can seek out people and relationships where we feel valued and where we receive love and care and where we get that opportunity to also give love and care. Unfortunately in our dominant culture we have sexualized intimacy so much that even the act of contextualizing intimacy as a necessary component to all relationships and not just romantic ones is seen as an act of profanity. I can give myself as an example. I in the past have found it really difficult to label this intense feeling of love and closeness to those that I do not view romantically like friends and family as intimacy. I have always found that very difficult You know, whether it would be having a deep conversation with a friend or a family member, which really touches areas of my life previously not openly discussed with anyone else other than myself, or even if it's just gazing longingly and lovingly at a natural landscape in front of me, or falling in love with nature's soundscapes, all these different moments felt so intimate that it really felt wrong to feel this way because the intensity of such an emotion to occur within a platonic relationship, yeah, it just felt so wrong. That is because I and many of us, most of us in fact, have been conditioned to believe in a sort of hierarchy of relationships, I like to call it, with romantic relationships being at the top and those part of the outgroup, the so-called strangers, are at the bottom. As I began to age, as my body began to age, I became even more inquisitive about the feeling of true love. Even though I had already felt it many times before, but obviously these experiences were soon invalidated by the romanticized definition of true love by modernity. The fact that the highest form of love cannot exist within the context of non-romantic connections because relationships that fall out of this category cannot be intimate, or at least cannot be intimate enough to match the level of intimacy known to be in romantic relationships. But as we are all in this lifelong process of unlearning and relearning, I soon found my confusion around this flawed relationship hierarchy was increasing every single day, alongside this growing fondness of the warmth of intimacy that I was getting to feel that wasn't limited to romantic interests. I'm not going to lie, it's very common for us to feel that excitement and intense feeling of love for those who you are romantically and or sexually attracted to. Most or nearly all of us have grown up to, for example, stories of lovers sacrificing everything and anything for each other, including themselves and their communities, for the person that they romantically love. 
And I guess because storytelling is so powerful in shaping communities and society in general, it really epitomizes our tendency to value romance over all forms of other love, affection and care. And we get to see that as we develop from children to adults, you know, as we hit puberty and we become more aware of our changing bodies and we become more aware of other bodies are also changing, we are quickly taught to fixate our attention to those that we find romantically and sexually attractive and then to pursue that attraction. Because on the basis of this attraction and this love, this form of love, we can strive for successful and stable lives. I mean, within our dominant culture, it's become quite difficult or even impossible, depending on your in-group and the community that you live in, to survive, let alone live, without a romantic partner. People find it more comfortable in the long term to rent or buy a home with a romantic partner. Financially, it's more feasible that way. Our systems are also created in that way that they assume that if you're buying a house, you'll be buying it with a partner, most likely. You know, people feel as if it's a curse to not be in a romantic relationship by a certain age, which usually is in the 30s age range. Having a family without a partner, for example, through adoption or sperm donation, or even just a single parent. It is so difficult financially and emotionally because our systems really still favour nuclear families over others. And it's this broken concept of what makes a family that has naturally trickled down into our own communities and has really reduced the meaning of deep connection to just romantic relationships and romantic intimacy. And that's really not to say that, you know, Eros love does not deserve to be recognised and valued for the sort of magic and warmth and excitement that it brings and we know it is valued for. And neither am I attempting to delegitimize the human experience and drive to pursue romantic or sexual relationships. If I was to do that, I would be doing a great injustice to myself. I would be a really big hypocrite because I love romance as much as any other hopeless romantic does. But we do need to understand that there are major problems with our current reductionist understanding of intimacy and the role it plays within our lives and our communities. The very first issue being that it delegitimizes platonic love as a potent driving force for change within communities, systems and even institutions. In the recent episode with Sanjana, which was a wonderful, wonderful conversation and if you haven't heard it yet, I really recommend that you do. In that episode, we talked about the urgency of re-establishing a culture of relatedness within the field of filmmaking specifically but also in all other fields and areas, so that we can all actively recenter ethics and morals in whatever we do. And I think that is so relevant to this topic of intimacy today, because until we don't actively seek to relate to one another, until we don't actively seek out intimacy in our relationships, in all types of relationships, we cannot work in community to collectively heal from traumas that are caused by our broken systems. When we talk about re-establishment of a culture of relatedness, a culture which has been integrated into indigenous cultures from for time immemorial, and which also really unites us regardless of nuances of individual cultures, intimacy really has to be the foundation in which we re-establish relationality as a framework for our reimagined world. The truth is you cannot relate to someone or some place or see others as your kin without an intimate connection, without depth to a relationship, without the desire to seek out intimate moments and seek out intimacy in every long-term, short-term or even momentary connection. If we really want to be rebuilding community in our lives and we really want to be living harmoniously again with the world, we have to, we really, really have to be intimate with one another. But to do that, we need to let go of barriers such as ego, toxic social norms, self-centeredness, neo-individualism, or any other barriers which really prevent us from being who we are, being the caregiving, nurturing human beings that we are meant to be. 
So when we limit where our love and intimacy can extend to, in this instance to often romantic partners or interests, our potential in re-establishing that culture of relatedness is lost because we have ultimately undermined the love we can give and receive to one another in community. So many of us feel so uncomfortable at providing love in a way that may be different to romantic love, but is at the same intensity, because a lot of us have forgotten how to love beyond this reductive modern definition of what love is and what love is really meant to be. So essentially what we really need to relearn is that any form of love cannot exist without intimacy, and likewise intimacy cannot exist without love. They both come hand in hand. So when our dominant culture contextualizes intimacy as a foundation of relationships exclusive to romantic and sexual ones, we learn that true love, the unconditional, the deep form of love, can only ever exist in romantic relationships. And as children, we are compelled to then value, honor, and cherish this form of love over others including those people that we are in a platonic or familial relationship with, which then leads on to the second major issue I wanted to discuss with this flawed notion of intimacy, is that when we establish a relationship hierarchy, that hierarchy then perpetuates imperialistic and colonial ways of living through competition and individualism. Because when one group or even one person or one relationship is given greater power, respect and energy in our lives than others, we then feed into this capitalistic idea of constant competition. We feel as if there always needs to be a hierarchy of people, things and even places that we value and love and care for because we are so used to hierarchies and uneven distributions of power and it makes sense. We have all been born into these broken systems and our individual systems, our bodies, begin to then replicate this until we realise how wounded we have become because of these flawed ways of governance and decision making and essentially just living. There is so much debate on whether hierarchies are important or not, with most people feeling that because of the human nature, we do need structure in our lives and hierarchies provide that. We do need structure in our lives, we need people to be taking on certain roles within community and for these people hierarchy provides that structure. And to be honest, in a sense I agree. I agree to the point that the human mind and spirit are extremely inquisitive and fluid and we are able to expand into so many spaces and possibilities with our mind and spirit bodies. But at the same time, we have to understand that we are restricted in this expansion by the boundaries of our material bodies. And that is something that we discussed in the conversation with Kelsey Blackwell, the first episode of season three. So I highly recommend you check that out to explore this concept further. But because our individual material bodies cannot take on large scale issues simultaneously or even entire systems, and we shouldn't have to, We need to distribute power and responsibility amongst community. And that will always mean that a group of people will always have more power and influence in decision making than others, or at least the ultimate stage of implementing policies and whatnot. But that then doesn't make everyone else irrelevant and insignificant and at the bottom of a hierarchy. Community, as I mentioned in the episode of finding self in a broken culture of community, is made up of individuals that come together and become a driving force for change making, for sustaining, managing and regenerating. For the system of community to work effectively and efficiently, every single person needs to be included. Everyone and every opinion needs to be valued, listened to and incorporated into decision making. And indigenous communities really epitomise this healthy form of community. They respect the fact that everyone has responsibility to steward their land, the inhabitants of the land, so leadership and power are decentralised in indigenous communities to ensure that decision-making is place-based and is in tune with the requirements of smaller communities and families. I discuss some more about this in the Finding Self in Community episode. If you want to check that out, that would be great. So if community must involve everyone and value everyone, 
This means that every connection in community, every relationship in community must also be valued so that community integrity is preserved. And that is really not possible until we see everyone as kin, everyone as part of a bigger community, not just limited to the country that you're from or the particular area that you live in. Every single person is connected to us in some way, connected to the wider community that we call Earth. And without intimacy, this vision of oneness and togetherness, I don't think can really be re-embodied. Intimacy really helps us to learn, again, that relationships, they were never meant to be transactional or commodified to only benefit us. That we were never meant to be constantly calculating the benefits and the drawbacks of different types of love and relationships and then ranking them based on some sort of delusional relationship hierarchy. True community has always and should always value every individual and every relationship that connects everyone together into the system of community. So we cannot be devaluing connection because just like community, our interconnected bodies, you know, the spiritual, material, ancestral, so on, rely on a network of relationships to function. When we are born, we enter a web or network of connections and relationships which really shapes us as children and naturally that has a big impact on who we become as adults. As we begin to develop our network most likely changes and soon enough we take responsibility for how our network looks like and how it functions. But the functionality of that network then depends on how intimate our connections are and sadly most of us, it's sad to say most but most of us, start our lives off with a network that lacks the intimacy, support, care and warmth that every single child needs and deserves and oftentimes it is resulting from intergenerational traumas and the lack of intimacy in the networks that our parents or our carers grew up in and developed in. But it also depends on the relationships we choose for ourselves, either at a point in time where we are mature to make that decision or at a point in time where we aren't mature to make that decision, or even relationships that were given to us through family or friends, which can then also restrict our ownership of responsibility in building our networks in the way that we want to build them. I think this just dips into trauma and how it affects our ability to build community with those who just love you without any thought of personal gain or simply any rationale. You know, those people that just love your energy and your vision and that's enough for them to be there for you at any point in your life. But also trauma healing and reclaiming control over our lives by exiting toxic relationships and environments. So that in itself, I think, requires a whole different discussion. That being said, trauma acknowledgement and healing work again begins with our understanding that you deserve more intimacy and relationality in your network and which then makes you desire and seek out intimacy in all different types of relationships, not just a certain type. The truth is to function as individuals and as collectives, as community, we really need every single type of relationship that exists for financial support and basic survival, but more importantly for emotional support, for inspiration for motivation to continue to live on and carry on in the current chaos. Romantic partners, they can give a fraction of that to us, but the rest needs to come from connections to family, to people that may already have become your chosen family, to people who you choose to build that tight-knit community with, who you're not directly related to, to ourselves, of course, and also to place. But apart from that, intimacy can really exist in moments as well, with those that you do not know yet, with places you do not know yet. I think a lot of the time, the mere mention of relationships puts a massive burden on people because relationships mean responsibility and owning responsibility to care for others is a massive thing. It's a massive thing. So it can be really overwhelming for people to then envision everyone is connected to them. Because then they start thinking, well, 
I have responsibility over the place I live in for sure, but also every single person here. And that's a lot. But I really think the problem lies in our tendency to always be thinking big. And by big, I mean global or even national scale. And it's bound to happen. It's natural to happen when we are constantly witnessing all these different crises occurring simultaneously. So many of these crises are age-old crises and they're still occurring. So we can often find that our minds are full of essentially everything. In terms of relationships, the indigenous standpoint of human stewardship and us all being connected in this web of interconnectedness of Earth can also seem too much for the modern human minds because it's not what we have grown up to know about and to understand. I mean, for myself, for so long, I just viewed community as a bunch of people who genuinely love and support me, the people who are called my loved ones, and practically everyone else is a stranger that I do have a responsibility over to respect and to not harm. But apart from that, I don't have any connection to these strangers, in quotation marks. To reframe community, for me, really meant to re-embody indigenous teachings of community. And seriously, that takes so much work and effort. I am constantly unlearning and relearning as I am slowly, slowly and gradually beginning to understand and to see others as not strangers, but members of the same big community that we call Earth. It's really difficult to do that because, again, as I mentioned before, community for me has really meant those who love, care for and respect you because They have co-created a relationship and space with you to better understand you and to be intimate with you, to share their deepest, deepest emotions and thoughts. But again, very quickly, my understanding of community was challenged when I started understanding intimacy a bit more. You know, I asked myself, okay, community can mean those who you have built that deep connection to those who you can say, yes, I am in a relationship with them and that relationship is based on intimacy. But what about those warm, fuzzy feelings that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we get around certain people, certain beings, certain places that we have yet to get to know? You know, those beings you momentarily come into contact with or those places that you've just newly discovered and perhaps won't even return to in the future. But those people, those places, they leave a lasting imprint on your heart. Essentially those moments that give you true joy because they help you to recognise once again what humanity is, what community really means and what just living really means. You don't even need to know the story or identity of the individual that you've just shared that intimate bond with, that intimate moment with or the non-human animal you've just bonded with, or the land you've just connected with, to really become part of their story and their mission to nourish and gift everyone, everything and every place they connect to, with warmth and love. And that gift then inspires us to all do the same. And I think these moments of intimacy with people or beings or places that you have yet to know either blossom into nourishing relationships and we end up loving and caring for that person or that place or that being, all those moments of intimacy help us to blossom into love-giving and highly conscious beings that we have the potential and responsibility to be. So in that sense, intimacy is not a burden on our bodies. You know, we're not trying to take responsibility over every single life form and space as the dominant culture attempts to make us believe you know, because they want us to give up with the fatigue of thinking that big. Intimacy just starts from these small moments of reciprocity, respect, and just openness. And those small moments then seep into the very fabric of life itself. But the fabric is massive, and in many places it's torn. And the only way we can revive it is if we all weave back this fabric of life together again with our ideas, our emotions, our relationships to really bring out the true colours and beauty of life itself. To do that, we really have to start involving 
everyone in this act of revolutionary healing of our world. Even those people who, linking back to what I said about community, being those who genuinely care, love and support one another, we need to involve everyone and even those people who have previously wounded us, that have previously wounded other people because they themselves are wounded. And that is something that I have struggled to accept for too long and still struggle to accept. In my previous episodes and old listeners to the show would know, my childhood traumas have really prevented me from acknowledging and adopting this ancient concept of community, where everyone, every single person, every single being has a right to be involved. I've pretty much my whole life just labelled those who have hurt me or my loved ones essentially as bad people who can't change and who brought intimacy to nowhere near the level that I did in the relationship that we had. And based on that, I really couldn't just bring myself to forgive them. And I continued to segregate them from what I identify as community and continue adding on to the list of people who have previously abused my trust and my vulnerability in moments that should have been intimate. I have recently discussed the concept of forgiveness on this podcast and although I still believe that everyone's opinions on the matter, you know, their forgiving practices should be respected, I've now started to wonder whether forgiveness or forgiving itself is not only an intimate act, at least an intimate process for the person who is forgiving, but whether forgiveness holds an important part in our collective effort to rebuild that culture of relatedness. Because if every person matters in community, doesn't alienating those who have hurt others then defeat the purpose of community building? To be honest with you, I didn't feel compelled enough to challenge my opinion on forgiveness and involving people who are hurting or who are wounded and have wounded other people until I revisited the amazing Valerie Kaur's work in Revolutionary Love, which is grounded in the act of seeing no stranger, seeing everyone as kin, even your opponents. I discovered Valerie probably at the time that I created Mindful of Everything. I watched her TED talk on revolutionary love and really loved it. But her vision, it really didn't sink into my mind until I listened to her conversation with Ayana Young on one of my favourite podcasts of all time, For the Wild. There was so much wisdom shared in that space and I really, really recommend you listen to that podcast episode. But one of the points that Valerie made, which started my journey, I would say, in challenging my current understanding of community was when Valerie was talking about how Guru Nanak, the first guru of Sikhism, taught about seeing no enemies or strangers, but instead focusing on our interconnectedness and the need for us to stay connected to sustain the world. But for me, the real turning point in the conversation was when Valerie said this amazing quote, You are a part of me I do not yet know. You are a part of me I do not yet know. And Valerie went on to explain that this truth of oneness and community, it has been confirmed by science for so long, but I think the emotionless and base level biological rhetoric has never been strong enough for us to live harmoniously together. We as human beings, we really need spiritual, mystical and emotional storytelling to be able to weave our lives together and truly feel part of community and science really hasn't provided us with that but of course the scientific explanation of us sharing a common ancestry that can further ground our community work and I think this this statement which is really a point of awakening for me you are a part of me I do not yet know it links beautifully to people and places you meet for the first time and feel that instant connect Like they are a part of you and you are a part of them even if you do not know them yet and they do not know you yet. Because you feel that bond as if it's always been there and it has always been there. To then apply this same logic to those who show, at least on the surface level, no interest in reconnecting back to community, I think is extremely difficult as a task. 
especially since so many of us have grown up learning that incarceration is needed to maintain community integrity. Punishment is needed to maintain community integrity. Rather than actively finding solutions to inequities, which usually are the source of hurtful actions that people commit. I totally acknowledge that certain crimes and actions are almost impossible to forgive, and likewise, it can be almost impossible to forgive those who have essentially given you traumas, especially when you were at your most vulnerable state, such as childhood. I also have no expertise or in-depth knowledge about crime or law, so I I don't think I can comment on that side of the argument and neither do I have the capacity to do so. But I do think it is easy to understand that negligence of the wounded, it just perpetuates community degradation further. And I guess that's where the argument of, given an example of America, that's where the campaign of defunding or even abolishing the police comes from. Negligence of the wounded just perpetuates community degradation further. And even if someone isn't willing to be held accountable or isn't at that stage in their healing journey to understand that they do need to rectify their mistakes, that they have hurt people and that it is not right, we can still be there for them to provide them with opportunities to reform. Because if everybody is in community, everyone matters. Community must be there for every single person, no matter where they are at their healing stage. It is true that unless in a profession where you are helping people, we cannot sacrifice a chunk of our life to try to reform certain people, but we can be there for open discussion with those who have hurt us if they're ready to be in that space, and if you are ready to be in that space. But if you and the other person or group of people have gone too far down the line, you know, you've all moved on in your lives, or they are just unwilling to be held accountable, the most we can do as those who have been hurt previously is just to walk away, focus on those who are ready to rebuild community with you, but at the same time wish those that are hurting, that are wounded, all the best for finding a time that is right for them. To redeem themselves. Prayers and wishes don't do everything, but eliminating hatred or strong feelings for another person, I think is one of the biggest intimate acts we can commit for yourself and also for community. I always love to finish off these reflection episodes with ways in which I actively put my reflective thoughts into practice, because it's great to be aware and engaged in critical thinking but at the same time what makes those thoughts powerful is the way in which we manifest them. I have mentioned in previous episodes and I continue to emphasize uh, this point that none of these episodes act as a self-help guide. Not just because I am not a practicing therapist or counsellor but also because I believe that there is no structure or template that we can follow or we should follow. Apart from the framework of community, we can contribute to community healing in ways that also help us flourish as individuals, which in turn helps restore and sustain dynamism in community. So therefore there is no to-do list or a certain guide that we all can follow. It all just depends on where we are in our healing journeys and if we are ready to commit to community rebuilding. Nevertheless, we thrive on inspiration and motivation from each other. So I do hope that some of my experiences that I get to share on this podcast with you all will resonate with you or even inspire you to reimagine intimacy in a more holistic way, in a more healing way. I actually had this episode on my mind for some time now, but somehow I couldn't find the necessary inspiration or even motivation to create it until I was gifted with the responsibility to care for my new kitten who I got a month ago. And if you follow me on my personal Instagram, you'll be seeing regular updates of her. And um, naturally, when you're trying to bond with a new life in your family, you have to share those intimate moments so that they can get to know you and you can get to know them. 
And thankfully, I have gotten to share those intimate moments with my kitten. In fact, today morning, we got to share a few, which is always really heartwarming. But I guess that really urged me to start to put all of my thoughts and feelings on the topic of intimacy into this episode. But one of the moments which really touched me that occurred last week, and it really left me desiring for that moment again, was one I shared not with my cat, but my neighbour's cat, a male orange tabby, who, when I was, you know, taking my kitten out, she's an indoor kitten, to explore my balcony, he ended up coming. And he very cutely uh, touched noses with my kitten. He is literally a gentle giant. He is, by the looks of it, he looks introverted. He's an introverted cat. So he was really, really gentle with her. And as soon as he done that, he ran away. And then he looked back, he stopped for a bit, he looked back. Yeah, it was just a really, really cute moment. So when I brought my kitten inside, she was obviously really excited and she wanted to go back out. And a few minutes later, that tabby cat ended up coming to the balcony again just to kind of investigate the area sort of sniff the walls and stuff where my kitten was to kind of get a feel of who is this new cat around here and as soon as I saw him I just felt an urge to go outside and say hello bit of context my neighbors I think got the tabby as soon as lockdown started a lot of people ended up getting animal companions at that time and I've been seeing that cat grow essentially you know he was a kitten and now he's probably two years old now and just seeing him evolve was really I guess it was an intimate series of moments in that sense and we've always tried to interact with him because he's always looked so welcoming but he's always been shy whenever we'd go out I'll try to get close to him and he would just run away In this instance, I could see he was busy kind of exploring the area. So I thought, you know, why not go outside and see how he would react with me to me now? So I ended up going outside and my mom and my sister were watching. My kitten was in my sister's arms and she was watching me as well. And I approached the tabby and he was just sitting there looking at me, you know, at that point he would have run away, but he was just sitting there watching me and I came closer. And I was really scared as well because he's quite big and then I decided to be courageous and I put my hand in front of him so he could smell it. And as soon as I did that, he sort of lifted my hand with his head and then rubbed his head on my hand. And this lasted for a few seconds and it was really so heartwarming, so intimate. But as soon as he realised what he was doing, he kind of stopped and then he ran away. As an introverted cat would do, my family were just left there awing <laughs> at that moment. It was it was so, so sweet. Seriously, that moment just lasted for about a few seconds. Maximum, I would say eight seconds. Yet it left a strong imprint of my heart. And apart from how adorable that moment was, I actually got to learn so much from that particularly about intimacy and again that really inspired me to write this episode and release it for today. One of the biggest lessons I got to learn from that moment was that intimacy's sole purpose is to make everyone in that space or moment, moments in time, feel pure pleasure and enjoyment. Intimacy is really pleasure-centric. You know in that moment that intimate moment that you're sharing with the other person is a time where nobody is thinking about the consequences of being vulnerable or anything else. Because we're just so fixated on the pleasurable experience, we don't want to be thinking about anything else. And I guess that's why intimacy is so sexualized, because pleasure itself has been restricted to sexual happiness, when in fact pleasure can be felt in any intimate moment with anyone or any place, including yourself. In relation to the tabby, he allowed himself to be vulnerable in that moment. He was not focusing on the possible consequences, neither was I, but I knew that it was a bigger risk for him than for me, and I respected that. Doing so, allowing himself to be vulnerable, he found that I also reciprocated the tenderness and the warmth that he gave me as he let me pet him. And so as his trust increased in that moment, he even guided me to where he liked to be pet. So that 
the moment was pleasurable for him as well, as much as it was for me. That bliss in itself was momentary, lasting literally seconds, but he understood that the level of intimacy at that moment was high enough for him to feel safe and also happy, and so he allowed that moment to occur. So essentially the first way that I try to relearn what intimacy really feels like, because in the current pace of society it's very easy to forget the feeling, is to allow myself to be vulnerable in moments that feel safe enough to do so. How do we know it's safe enough? That's the issue. We don't. But until we do not try, until we do not explore our relationships and see whether the other person in that relationship is willing to respect and value you for choosing to be vulnerable and choosing to be intimate with them, we will never know which of our relationships are the ones that will keep us going, keep that inspiration and motivation to continue living. And if we can be more comfortable in being vulnerable with romantic partners, why then do we hesitate to apply that same vulnerability to other relationships? I think a lot of the time people believe that when we choose to be vulnerable, we are just inviting trouble. We're just inviting for somebody to harm us. When in fact, vulnerability is just a state in which you allow yourself to speak your truth and present yourself as who you truly are and not in a way that other people wish to see you as. Vulnerability, therefore, is not a weakness. It has always been a power that lets you be transparent without fear about how your truth will be received. And it is true, you can get onto the wrong side of vulnerability. I have been there countless of times where my transparency and my openness in a relationship has pretty much always been abused and used against me when all I was doing was being myself, I was speaking my truth. Yet, even after those bad experiences, I still choose to be vulnerable in intimate moments, even with people who I know in the future, most likely I won't really have a connection with them. I still choose to do that because I do that in the hope that my transparency will let that other person realise that I truly have nothing to hide and I am not embarrassed about my journey so far, my truth, who I am. In fact, I'm very proud of it. And even if they wish to use that information against me, it will never damage my image because, again, I am not ashamed about who I am, where I've been and where I am today. So I think the biggest thing about intimacy to take away from this episode and to really apply to your life if you're struggling to find those relationships where you can be intimate or even the relationships where you are cared for but you feel as if you're not deeply loved, deeply respected for who you are. I think we need to just understand that even if we face the consequences of being vulnerable and being intimate, that should be a lesson for you to encourage to seek out relationships where you are respected in those intimate moments where your vulnerability is appreciated and really seek out to be in relationship with those places and with those people who are ready to be part of community building and perhaps who are actively already part of that community building. The next thing and the final thing for this episode I have realised that it has gone a bit long this time. I just have so much to say on this topic and it's, as I said, it has been in my mind for so long, so everything is coming out. The final thing I really wanted to say about intimacy and the way in which I seek it out is to really re-envision relationality through the lens of intimacy. I totally respect that everybody thinks differently And a lot of people are still not comfortable in applying intimacy or using the lens of intimacy to relate to one another. And I, again, I respect that. Everybody has a different healing journey. But I think if you really try this out, it can really revolutionize your understanding of what community building, rebuilding and healing is. And it can really revolutionize your personal network, your relationships, and essentially 
just who you are because our relationships really affect how we develop as people. So in terms of practicality, next time when you're trying to relate to someone who perhaps has shared an intimate moment with you, perhaps they've shared some really deep thoughts or really personal information that they have struggled to tell other people or perhaps you are one of those people who they feel comfortable enough to share that with, instead of seeing that moment as a point in which they overshared, see that moment as an intimate moment as a moment in which they trusted you to be respectful about their vulnerability and them choosing to be intimate with you. We all just need to really understand that relationality and love can only exist when intimacy is in the equation. In fact, when intimacy is the foundation. Because if you, again, as I mentioned throughout the episode, to love someone, you must see them as kin. And to see them as kin you must have shared at least one moment where you, the other person or both of you, allowed yourselves to be vulnerable and your vulnerability was received warmly. And once you break out of your understanding that intimacy can only exist within the context of romantic and sexual relationships, you will seriously feel another level of love in your relationships, which aren't romantic. And then you will desire to connect or even reconnect to those relationships and those people on a much deeper level than you previously have. You will find yourself suddenly falling in love again with your loved ones, with nature, with the place in which you reside on, or even your homeland. And I think once we have all fostered this intense feeling of love, one day, in the words of Valerie Corp, You will see the humanity of the people who disagree with you and the people who hurt you. And that will automatically open the door to community for those who are hurting, who are wounded, to let them know that when they are ready to begin healing and they are ready to be held accountable for their actions and are ready to move forward from that trauma, community will always be there to support them. you for listening to the mindful of everything podcast if this episode resonated with you please support the podcast by giving a rating on whichever podcast platform you use and share the podcast within your community to extend listenership to those who are also connect to the content visit mindfuloveverything.com for all episode resources show notes and transcripts